0: I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. You can follow us at Open Mind TV and support our series on Patreon at patreon.com slash TheOpenMind. I'm delighted to welcome our guest today, Albert Fox-Kahn. He is the director of the Surveillance Technology Oversight Project at the Urban
1: Justice Center. Welcome, Albert. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Albert, what are the prospects this year with the new Congress and Biden administration of national privacy legislation?
1: I mean, when it comes to Congress, I'm always skeptical of real movement. And while I think there's a possibility of privacy legislation moving forward, uh, those of us um, like myself who focus on state and local action, what we always worry is that if we see a real push towards a federal bill, that it will have the effect of uh, effectively weakening those existing state laws by by preempting the laws that we already have on the books. And we're particularly concerned that could be the case with, you know, some of the great biometric privacy bills we have in Illinois and other states. And then some of the privacy laws we've seen uh, in California and Massachusetts and elsewhere uh, banning facial recognition.
0: Now, what are the advances that have been made on a state level in the last year? You reference three states. Um, So, you know, what is protected in California or would be protected in Illinois um, that is not in many other states, if not 47, 48 other states?
1: Yeah, so right now, Illinois is in the odd position of being the de facto national regulator of biometric privacy. And when I talk about biometric privacy, the most common example is facial recognition, but it also means iris recognition or thumbprints or any time you're trying to use a unique body part to try to identify someone uh, through an automated system. And Illinois has this law that's been on the book for a number of the years called BIPA, the Bi- uh, Biometric Information Privacy Act. And under that, you cannot use these sorts of technologies on someone unless you have their clear consent, their express consent. And that seems pretty intuitive, but that actually isn't the standard in almost any other state. And so this is why we keep seeing a lot of high-profile lawsuits going forward in Illinois to target practices that are happening around the country, you know, uh, Facebook paying hundreds of millions of dollars to settle a lawsuit over their use of facial recognition. The controversial uh, facial recognition firm Clearview AI is being sued in uh, Illinois by the ACLU, and, and there are, there are many others. And and part of what I fear with uh, some of the movement on national privacy uh, legislation is that you'll see a watered down standard and that you won't see that clear protection against some of these really increasingly invasive technologies.
0: When it comes to the violations of folks' privacy, there is sort of the known and unknown, if you will, Mm -hmm. in being surveilled, right? And when you talk about those big lawsuits, do they represent both of those classifications, if you will, of the people who are knowingly being surveilled and the people who are unknowingly being surveilled.
1: Well, when I think about the surveillance landscape, there, there definitely are the parts of it that are happening and we know they're happening and they're happening without consent. And that's a big part of what's dri- uh, driving those sorts of lawsuits. But then there's also this parallel issue of all the forms of surveillance that are going on that we never know about. Um, and and, we see that in the private sector with a lot of new ways that you know people's data is being aggregated all the time and and we've actually seen uh some enforcement actions by the ftc and others uh looking at the advertising technology space and a lot of the other you know commercial entities that are selling data without us ever realizing it but when it comes to the uh, government use of this One of those sets of uh, local laws that I was referencing is something called CCOPs, Community Control of Police Surveillance. And this is a set of ordinances that's been passed in 25 different cities uh, that address the issue of, does the public even know what sorts of technologies are being used. And so this is a a transparency mechanism that requires the police departments to disclose every single spy tool they're using, but it also then in many jurisdictions requires consent from the public to then continue to use those tools. And it gets us towards a better public debate and true democratic accountability for that second set of surveillance, the, the set of the the known unknowns, the systems that we know they're out there, but we don't know what they are. And and it's something that I think will become an increasingly potent debate in in the coming months and years as these systems become more powerful. And it really starts to raise significant questions about what it means to be in a democracy that is using these types of systems to track nearly everyone potentially, but without real public engagement or public uh, consent.
0: You sound skeptical about the prospects of national adoption of privacy legislation. However, it sounds like these lawsuits have not motivated the companies to form a bill of rights Mm -hmm. for consumers. And that is really short of adopting a consumer bill of rights for the internet and it's more expansively for any of these new technologies surrounding us, will state protections, given that they exist only in two or three states, will they will that infrastructure be strong enough or should we really be talking about this in terms of national policy?
1: So I definitely think that the answer is both. And and so I I while well, I'm somewhat skeptical in the short term about the potential for really uh, powerful federal legislation, I think that it is the long-term goal because I think in the long run, this is a core civil rights protection. This is something that we need to, you know, provide to every single American the these sorts of privacy protections. But I think the way we get there, it, it's not, I don't believe it's gonna happen in this Congress, but I think the way we get there is by continuing to build a national consensus where a growing number of states, where a growing number of cities are able to put these practices in into uh, action, where they're able to pass these laws, where they're able to protect their local residents. And by doing this state by state, city by city, we're able to show both a viable model and a national consensus towards truly strong federal legislation. And I think that's the model that's worked throughout uh, American history.
0: So if these companies were to determine, we have to preempt the states and the feds and establish these new ground rules, what would be the adequate steps of self-regulation that have not been forthcoming, but still could occur that that you would lobby for in the interim, knowing that it's a very slow process for both the state reforms and potentially national legislation.
1: So, uh, you know, I, I would reframe it slightly. So, we definitely think that companies can do a lot to to make these this situation better, but I we also are skeptical that the individuals that got us into this mess are the ones best uh, able to get us out. When it comes to the corporate self-regulation, though, there are models of providing true independent external oversight. There's ways to provide a better uh, transparency to the public. But I think a big part of this is just moving past the fiction of terms of service and consumer consent when it comes to a lot of these data collection practices. So companies understand that there are millions of people who are clicking through these conditions in seconds, not really understanding what they say. And, you know, I'm a, trained privacy lawyer, I barely can understand what these terms say half the time. And and so I think that has given them legal cover for for many years, but I don't think it gives them moral cover to say that there's truly public support for data to be captured on the level that it has been. And so that means pivoting to a model of minimizing the amount of data that's collected upfront, making sure that the data collected uh, and the benefits Of that data collection are proportional to the harm bringing in an understanding of existing power dynamics so you know as a white male attorney the consequences of having this data collected for me might be very different than some of my clients who might be undocumented who might have criminal justice involvement who might be part of systemically over police communities and so recognizing that just because the data being collected for the you know, developers in Palo Alto, uh, just because it's not raising red flags for them in their personal life, that doesn't mean that there aren't millions of Americans being put at risk. And, and I'll, I'll give a very uh, potent example. We've learned in recent months that the U.S. military purchased geolocation data, you know, individuals' uh, uh, history of where they had been and when, uh, from a popular Muslim prayer app. They, they bought the, the locations of tens of millions of people targeted because of their religion. And, and to me, that is something that is a complete failure from everyone in this entire, uh, Information e- ecosystem. It is a failure on the part of the companies that enabled it. It is a failure on the part of the data brokers that profited from it. It is certainly a failure on the part of both the government that purchases that data and the regulators who allow.
0: When we think of punitive measures, uh, penalties for the misuse or abuse of data and the monopolies that have collected this data over years, uh, what? resonates for me are words that Andrew Yang uttered in a democratic presidential debate and repeated on the campaign trail. And those words were equating oil to your data, and the, mm. the value of your data actually exceeding oil or energy. And um, that always resonated for me as a practical policy prescription that um, is tangible. These companies ought to be responsible for their misdeeds in the past and sign this contract with their users for fidelity to the law, to protect their privacy, and to compensate them uh, for past misdeeds and for future collection processes. If that relationship was not incorporated into either the California or Illinois legislation, is it being contemplated in other states?
1: Oh, certainly. And we've seen a lot of data ownership models and and, and different models where people would get a data dividend. There, there certainly are, are um, browsers that have integrated that functionality. There are a, a number of folks who are pushing these legislative models. You know, we... we uh, at my organization the surveillance technology oversight project we've been somewhat skeptical of that approach because we think there is there is tremendous value in that data but we also think that simply reducing it to the economic calculus will bake in a lot of the inequality that has defined how we have been treated by these companies and law enforcement for years and so for example for wealthier consumers, their data will potentially be privileged. It will be given a higher market value. It will be given more compensation. But the risk to those individuals of that data falling into the hands of law enforcement is much higher. And and I I keep I know I keep coming back to law enforcement, but I think that is one of the dominant themes we see in our work. People who are, yes, they're they're annoyed that you know um cambridge analytica took their data but they're terrified that ice has it they're they're terrified that this is something that can be used to to break up their family to deport them and and i think when we look at data ship data ownership models it raises the second question which was implicit which is holding these companies accountable for when they break the law but we have to address the just how broken that baseline standard in our laws is that we've given just such a permissive standard for when this data can be given away, when it can be used by other people, both on the commercial side and the government. So I I think it could be a part of a solution, but I think it's just a small part.
0: It may be a small part, but I think that it's actually the most impactful in getting people to pay attention to privacy. And I don't know if you would agree with that contention, but basically it is that uh, to reward people financially and to compensate them for uh, those criminal activities in the past uh, specifically, it's basically damages, injury damages, and to look forward as – American politicians are with UBI and stimulus. I see it as very much connected to that and that any public policymaking that stands a chance of rallying public support would have to bake into it. Financial compensation, especially when the case is so strong as these companies reap enormous benefits for being too big to fail uh, as monopolies Mm -hmm. that, don't pay taxes, that don't adequately contribute to local communities, and that are just gargantuan in size.
1: Completely. And look, I, I I got my start as a lawyer, as an antitrust attorney. I was advising giant tech companies on antitrust. And I think that they are monopolistic. I think that a number of them rightfully can be targeted as monopolies. And we've seen litigation uh, against Google and others on that very basis. And I think that if you talk to the folks in the C-suite, I don't think they would like the idea of paying a data dividend. I don't think they would be thrilled at the idea of paying damages for everything they've done in the past. And you know, many of these companies already have settlements that they've entered into with attorneys general and, and private uh, plaintiffs. To pay damages quite explicitly already. But I think the thing that really keeps them up at night is the possibility of being broken up. And I think that gets to the root of the power dynamics we've seen with big tech in recent years, that we've allowed them to become these massive monopolies. And I think even if there is a regulatory structure that requires them to pay to the public money for what they've done in the past as long as they continue to be monopolies in the future they'll continue to abuse that market share and abuse that power and i don't think in the absence of you know a true antitrust remedy of, of, of breaking up these uh massive companies that you'll be able to see any of these other measures have the type of effects that we're talking about on, on in the private sector
0: Just as a final question albert like practically speaking it, it would seem to resonate that for every friend request for every linkedin connection for every everything mm-hmm. amazon purchase google search or collection of searches that those companies owe the american people something or citizens are across the board um, and i see it as simplistically as that and i'm not saying that they're going to pay people and then do right by them. You also have to follow through and make sure that the privacy standards are robust and that they're paying people and complying by whatever uh, rights you're codifying. But do you not see
1: that approach being feasible? I I definitely think it's feasible. And I I think that all of these aspects of of the response. Are are important towards that lot larger transformation because we are so far behind, you know, Europe and so many other, and so many countries around the world that have actually aggressively fought to protect privacy and protect consumer rights and protect individuals. And I think a data dividend would help us in starting to rebalance and starting to uh, make these companies. Make it makes ends.
0: sense for a capitalistic system like ours that would. In, in a sense, make desirable, from the consumer's point of view, profit-making, um, you know, with crypto exploding in the pandemic era. It makes perfect sense. Do they have individual data dividends in Europe or in other places where privacy law have been enacted? The, the, the EU and others have demanded these big tech companies pay news organizations. Um, So that is one Mm -hmm. more specific route of um, directing the data dividends to, you know, news organizations or journalists. But, How has that relationship evolved through privacy regulations in Europe or elsewhere?
1: Yeah, we we haven't seen a ton with data dividends specifically in Europe, but we've seen a much more aggressive regulatory approach, including this process of having the larger tech companies pay uh, money to the newspapers, to the other journalistic outlets that they've siphoned funds away from for years. And, And I think that you know the closest we've seen to an explicit data dividend, where people are being paid uh, money for the data that was improperly taken from them, it, it's something much less glamorous. It's the American you know uh, trial system. It's where we have these class action lawsuits where people are getting checks uh, in the aftermath uh, of these scandals because of how their data was misused. And so I think we've started to see you know. Those outlier cases, but we haven't seen anyone deploy a systematic data dividend a system where, going forward, people are rewarded. We've only seen the sort of voluntary web platforms, Brave Browser, being one of them that where people are being voluntarily uh, given uh, money for the time they spent on they spend online.
0: If you were to point to one or two or three representatives in our government who are speaking in the language we are today and in order for citizen listeners to help move the dial forward they need to get organized with these if you're just to name three um at most or just one who who would you say
1: well i I think we've seen a number uh, of members in the house taking a, a real um interest in this and it's become an increasingly bipartisan issue but I think uh, Senator uh, Wyden of Oregon has really been uh one of the leaders in the in the broader privacy community for years he is someone who has spoken about out about these issues time and again and he's someone who really has has driven the agenda in Washington when it comes to protecting our data
0: Albert Fox Khan Director of the Surveillance Technology Oversight Project. Thank you so much for your insight today. Thank you again for having me.